Welcome to another episode of Residentially Speaking, a podcast dedicated to bringing you interesting and informative content from key builders, dealers, thought leaders, and influencers across the residential construction industry. I'm your host, Alan Hubble. Justin Wilson, welcome to the podcast. Hey, great to be here, Alan. Hey, thanks, Justin. Thanks for taking the time uh, to spend with us. You know, this is our third season now of podcast. You're the first guest of season three. Congratulations. Oh, it's an honor. And uh, I will tell you that, of course, your, your two partners in crime, Mark Liberté and Gord Cook, uh, helped us out in seasons one and two. I had Mark was our first guest way back in season one. And Gord, I'm not sure if he was the first of season two, but he was in season two. So I'm not saying we're saving the best for last. You can tell them that. But uh, we are really, really happy to have you with us. So uh, thank you oh, very much. Yeah, thanks for that. And um, I'm sure then in season four, I'll give you the opportunity to um, have our newest partner, Construction Instruction, Andrew Oding, on your feed as well. So it'd be great. Yeah, that's great. You've added to your team. up there. I know you've added Andrew and you've added some others, right? We'll, yeah. Yeah, let's, we'll talk about that when we get to the CI portion uh, of the discussion Perfect. here. Our guest on this episode is Justin Wilson, founder and partner of Construction Instruction. Justin Wilson is a leading building science educator who's been in the industry for many, many years. He works with national and regional builders to find solutions to problems in the building processes that affect energy, comfort, and durability. Many of you know Justin and have attended his webinars or seminars live. So listen in on a wide-ranging discussion on Justin's early career working for a builder and how he came to appreciate and learn about building science as applied to building homes. We'll talk about the formation of construction instruction and what led to CI Live and how they came to be located in Denver, Colorado. Finally, we'll discuss challenges and questions Justin sees and hears through his interactions with builders and contractors at CI Live. And we'll close with a brief discussion on decarbonization in the industry and what it means for home building in general. Please join us. Residentially speaking, that's coming up. So for those, you know, you're, you're pretty well known in the industry. You're a really interesting guy, um, really a varied background, a lot of interests. And uh, I just wonder, could you, could you talk us through a little bit of your background and history up to about the point in time, say, where you maybe uh, got into the building industry? What do folks uh, don't know about you that, uh, that might interest them? I came out of the sporting goods industry um, originally uh, from a technical role. And um, I had this great aspiration to move from Minnesota. I lived in this cold, cold place and I had an opportunity to move to Colorado. And I always wanted to live in Colorado, particularly the front range where I could have easy access to the mountains and just such a beautiful place. And I wound up in a position here um, to continue in the sporting goods industry. And well, home building and building things was really what I was grounded in as a, in my youth, but, um, the opportunity fell through and I was here in Colorado and did a, a varied amount of things, but I wound up in some small handyman type roles and a trade partner role and ultimately had such a great opportunity. It was kind of in the balance of, do I do this forever? And it's a lot of hard work. Um, but I love building things and I love helping people. Um, so in that, I kind of was in this, well, I'll go back to school, place, be an architect. I don't know. And I had an opportunity um, from a builder here in Boulder, Colorado, called McStain Neighborhoods. And that was my real birth into the the business model end of it from just being a small contractor with a few people I was working with into a company that was doing at the time, you know, three to 400 units a year hmm. that expanded my tenure there to around 600. And they're a well-polished organization. And I have to say it was a company that was run when I first started there it was it was run by a husband and wife and the husband was a civil engineer and the wife was an architect and they both were two of the most unique people the hoyts that that owned and the founders of McStain and they had this vision and 
things that I knew and I was always curious about how things worked. And I was into, I was a physics-based person from the university, but I was, I was curious that they were looking at home building much different than typically, you know, a commodity based or anyone that's just looking at building houses for an economic reason. They were doing it for you know, almost a, a cultural and social justice reason to some degree. They were so oh. passionate about what they were doing. And I, I became, so I, I worked in various functions there through construction, uh, warranty and, and customer care, managed their structural warranty and worked with some very talented structural and forensic people at the time. Now, this would be in the, you know, mid to late 90s. Okay. And that's kind of where things really start to blossom. Um, you know, I, I've inherited this structural warranty. So the 10-year warranty period, I would monitor for the company. And so if anyone wrote a letter of, even if there were the third, fifth, whatever homeowner of a particular property, they felt it was our responsibility to go out and actually look at it and maybe not fix it. Maybe it was our fault, but we at least could give them some advice. Hmm. And I thought that was a really interesting social component to it as well as just responsible component. Yeah. That's a long time removed from the original owner. Yeah. Cause usually people think it's, you know, after the first year, year see right. you later. And, and they, they didn't really warrant it, but if we really thought things were in our fault that the, we would, we were there to help them fix it. Sometimes we would be the contractor on a repair, or sometimes it was just flat out our fault. And we'd say, you know what? We should have never done it that way. Hmm. And I would keep a catalog, you know, of, of things that we did and things that worked and didn't looking on this, you know, two to 10 year range and working with a, a very talented mentor of mine, a, a forensic engineer had a lot of wisdom to think about. And, and a lot of the heat, air, and moisture flow tactics we talk about in a practical application in the real world. And that gave us a lot of data to feed back on things we could improve on, how we'd change our products. And at the same time, we started utilizing, you know, energy ratings and blower door testing, duct leakage testing, sealing duct work, looking at innovative ventilation strategies, because these would all come out of things like people would write you a letter and complain that their house smells like fish for three days after they cook. Yeah. So this and, is 25 years ago. Yeah. 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 Wow. And one of the big gifts that came out of that was, okay, well then why don't you, and we're going to call it innovation and building science. Um, why don't you just spearhead a different mantra for our company? Why don't we look at this from an environment and sustainability? So I became the director of environment and sustainability for the company and it really was building science and it was really looking at future. So some of the things that, that got boiled into this, which I thought were remarkable, was we would take from a team perspective, and I love that, um, the team perspective, we would come together and have a charrette. This is mm -hmm. 25 years ago. And we would look at innovative technologies and strategies, programs, not beyond, we looked at for example, we built one of the first ALA health houses in the west, west of the Mississippi River out here under the sort of program two guidelines in early 2000. Are there programs, are there applications, are there things that we've learned, heard at conferences? So I get to go to a lot of conferences and gather information, seen at trade shows like the Builder Show, that we could try in a test house. And we call them, which people easily do now, they call them discovery houses, but we would call them discovery houses. This would be in 1998, for example, or 2000, 2002. Yeah. And the objective of this whole thing would be to analyze it and be there, measure it when it's done, be there when it's being installed, measure it when it's done, and really come up with a way of saying, okay, are there two, three, four of these things that we can deploy into our common everyday production models. So we've, we've vetted it, we've tested it. It was a group idea. We took a bunch of feedback. This is that we all do as, as similar as a product development, we go through various cycles or gates before we say, okay, it's ready for market. And we would use those houses as great examples, but also we would market things that were innovative, green well before it's time, um, mm -hmm. indoor air quality measures. And I guess where I'm going with this is 
for those that are on here that are interested in trying to sell houses with energy and energy efficiency only, the story has to be a lot bigger. It has yeah, to be about agree. community, people, and air quality and comfort. Comfort, and, yeah, yeah. It has to it has to fit a broad base of of people. Yeah, because when you when, I was just say when you do some of those calculations on energy efficiency returns, right? Now we're in the insulation business, obviously, and air sealing. But the returns can be kind of low on that. So it can take a while to get your money back. Obviously, it depends on a lot of factors. Yeah. But um, in, in my mind, uh, like I have, I have very poor windows in my house. New, new home, 15 years old, but the windows are poor. I'm going to spend a bunch of money to replace them. And I've seen some analyses on how much air I'm going to, you know, my, how much tighter I'll make the home. And the payback on that is pretty long. I'm not doing it for energy efficiency It's reasons. a long time. It's yeah, comfort. It's, it's Comfort and functionality of windows that you can open and close yeah. that don't blow drafty air on you on cold days. And, you know, and this is the, the biggest piece that, you know, we really looked at, look at is balancing sort of the economics of what goes into the building, maintaining a profitable company, because that's also about culture. And that's also about taking care of people's families that are dedicated and working hard for an organization. So, you know, but providing a package to homeowners and buyers, I'm going to call it that, that meets the needs of now and in the future. And, and, and there's, of course, there's a, this massive balance that has to happen for a company to, to be able to look at the infrastructure costs and the land costs and the permit costs and the architecture design planning fees and everything associated oh. with it when it gets to the end. But to this effect, when you look at your 15 year old house with poor leaky windows, there's a payback on air leakage, but then this whole thing is so interconnected because now you're going to put in better glass and you're going to have less solar gain, which yeah. means your already oversized air conditioner is already well now oversized by another factor. <laughs> yeah, right. So my point with this is this balance of putting all those things in together is that, you know, everything plays off one another in this enclosure. And it's really important for builders to see that. And I have to say positively that I'm starting to see that now for the first time in some years where people are looking at this much more systematically. Un understanding those interdependencies. Yeah. We're not there yet, but it's, we're starting we're to. Make a progress. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, who would have been some of the outside uh, external resources you worked with in that role or uh, influencers that kind of, you know, that, that had an influence yeah. on you and that you were looking to for guidance? So one one of mine local was was a, a the engineer a structural and forensic engineer named Carl Scott, and he he still practices. He's his, he's in his eighties. Wonderful common sense grounded person. But we would we would reach out to um, our energy raters played a, a significant role because they had the equipment. I became an energy raider as well. But we had I think you've had Robbie with Build Tank. Robbie Schwartz. We did. Yeah. My, my friend. Yeah. He was a predecessor to me at McStain and he actually had left there to become an energy raider um, right about the time I started, but we were like two passing ships and really never met. Okay. Um, of course, Joe, Joe Stieberg and his wife, Betsy Pettit um, played a, a big role. Um, Coda from building science corp as well uh, as he was doing his master's and then his doctorate work was, was a, a really good, sounding board Armin rudd we'd worked on things he was what with building science corp uh, this list just goes on you know duncan prawl from ibicus bradley bradley oberg oberg yeah what a Newberg. what a what a person that you know you feel like being welcomed into this small group of building scientists and um bradley's bradley's background was in was in architecture um but what a unique person to to welcome and bring you into the group, right? Because that's a, a bit of the building science group. It kind of becomes fraternity. a club. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. And and there are people like that. And of course, you know, Gord Cook, we we were, um, and I'd read things that he had written. I'd met him a few times, Mark LaLiberté, this is before we were partners. Uh, Steve Andrews, um, <laughs> he was very instrumental here with uh, the Colorado E-Star program which was the which was the the first sort of hers provider home energy rating system provider in colorado um when we used to have the upside down metric where yeah yeah 
the house was perfect if it was a hundred. <laughs> so, so that it's just, and then, you know, there, there's also this, this uh, support that came from manufacturers. And I'll, I'll say one of, one of your DuPont fellows, uh, Dr. Teresa Weston, you yeah. know, when we had issues with water management and all builders go through that. Um, and we did an analysis on various uh, water and air resistive barrier technologies that a we could afford at the time and it existed now we'll talk like 2000 here right um ter terry came out and in, in at the office and and had like not only just great information but you know no, she's not a salesperson she was bringing resources and information yeah and yeah, so she She's yeah. a force in the industry, right? Really. Yeah, I mean, she, exactly. Yeah, of course, she's retired, so, but she's still oh, well, still doing know. still yeah. doing some consulting. We also had Maria Spinu, was yeah. another name from the past. Yeah, that worked with Terry. Yeah, um, and I'd worked with Maria on the other end of our business on numerous occasions. Um, so it it's I think it's that all the people that you meet along the way and what you thought you knew from you know university studies and other things and just helping work through and, and it winds up being you know so many different problems and projects and climate zones and things like that yeah well that's a great list of mentors and experts to rely on another one i was thinking of just a shout out to the yeah you know, obviously we merged with dow a number of years ago but the, they had gary parsons on their team who was also exactly a strong exactly. contributor in the building science area yeah um so somewhere along the way i don't know if folks knows but you got into race cars did that happen early in life or later in life? We don't want to spend a lot of time there, but no. how, did, how did that I'll be about? brief with it. I, um, I did, you know, when I was a kid, I, 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 I loved cars. I still do. Um, I, I got some go-kart under my belt early in my day. Okay. And my, my dad, a little bit interested in on and off through his career, not driving, just he's, you know, a, a spectator and, and fan. I have an uncle that raced pretty much everything on tracks, wheels, whatever you could get. And he wound up owning a couple of small sponsoring and owning a couple of small race car teams. And so we tag along as kids hmm. and he, he was, and it was fun to see. Um, and I always thought to myself, you know, if I can drive these go-karts and I bet I can drive a sports car, not a stock car, but like a sports car. And, um, road racing. And through the years, then I kept my interest on it. And, um, and now to this day, I'm still, I'm still out. I'm competing all over the United States yeah. as a side, a little side hustle, right? I, yeah. I've seen your car and your setup. Cause I think, well, at one point you were keeping it at the labs there in Denver. Um, how far will you, so will you, you'll drive that across the country to go race? Yeah, that'll go across the country. That one actually, in a. um, April, mid-April will be in Topeka, Kansas. Nice. Um, and then it'll come back here and then it goes uh, to Texas and then it goes up to Wisconsin to Road America and back through to Brainerd, Minnesota and trying to get, if we can, the budget to go west this year as well. But we get about five or six weekends a year. Uh, okay. It's a, a, a race week. And this year you've seen, uh, you've seen the, the other car, which that one's actually waiting for someone to pick it up, but there's a there's a new ride in the building this year that's just a little bit faster. Um, yeah, nice. Yeah. So how how fast will you go in these races? What what kind of max speeds? Uh this the the new car um, is is a, a very capable car. Uh, some of the tracks, depending on the run out, the straightaways. Uh, We'll easily do 160, 170. Yeah, that's moving. Yeah. Well, it's you don't feel that as much as the cars when you're road racing. They have huge brakes on them and brake control systems. And so where you really feel it is the deceleration. People should ask race car drivers, how fast can you stop it? Yeah. You really wind up going from those high speeds or average speeds, you know, 120, 130 to sometimes as low as 30 miles an hour and some 150 feet or so. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Some significant forces. Have you buckled in? Yeah. Have you buckle up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay. So, back, so see, so you're working for McStain, you're doing your thing, building science, you're learning, making progress, applying this. And somewhere along the way, you 
you met, became friends, part, started partnering with, with, I'm assuming, Mark and or Gord. Was that through the EBA Houses That Work program? Yeah. So well, let me ask you this. I guess the question is, how did you get into edu? You went from building to educating. How did that transition happen? So it, it, it became a pretty logical transition of what we were learning in the field. It first started with um, our construction superintendents. Their meetings were on Wednesday mornings, Wednesday afternoon around lunch, typically, depending, it would, it would vary. And they would ask me to come in and do some tech topic to sort of train the trainer. And so I'd get my 30 minutes and I'd have to prepare my slide deck. And then I started to do it for our sales department because why, if we're installing it in our houses, we sure needed to figure out how to sell it. Mm -hmm. And so that became a bit of training. And then I was... Uh, Involved in the in the Colorado Built Green program, that was one of my duties at McStain was to sit in their board meetings. And it came that there was vacant for their Built Green University, where they did a, a one or one and a half day training on the Built Green program with a sprinkle of building science in it. And then typically the, the half day would be the second day if they had that, it would be a field walk and energy rating and testing on a house. Well, I was an energy rater and I was a trainer and I knew all the standards that that we had put in place were over 200 things. So I tried it and I did the Built Green University, which is a one-day program, and then the field portion the next day after. And I was still standing after that first yeah, one. Yeah. And And everybody seemed to be pretty good with it, though it was a new thing to me. And so I did those about six times a year. And so at that point, I was also doing work, which is interesting for CMHC, Canada Mortgage oh, yeah. and Housing Corporation. And this is kind of how the, the Gord intersection, as well as EBA comes into play. And Mark had been involved in some of the Built Green Universities as well, or things with E-Star Colorado, as I mentioned, Steve Andrews before. So was, things were kind of brewing a little bit there. So I was doing a building science trainings for CMHC here in the United States. Gord was doing stuff for CMHC in Canada. Um, so I was a contract agent. And this is after I left McStain. I had a consulting company, small. I was okay. doing energy what, ratings and analysis. And what was CMHC training. doing uh, training in the U.S.? That's interesting. You know, so they put a building science message together. They got AIA credits, AIBD was involved as well, but AIA credits primarily. Um, and they would they would set up seminars like a houses that work in various locations throughout the United States. They charge a little bit to basically cover lunch. And in the background, what they had was they would put in a little trade booth in the back, almost like houses that work, and they'd have unique products or applications. Well, back in the day, so this would be like 2006, 2000, late 2005, heat or energy recovery ventilators, right? Nobody here <laughs> hardly known what they were. So companies like Vanny, Venmar that were doing that, which it's now, that's a, a Brone organization, but they would have new and innovative, unique products from Canada that would be in kind of the back room that they huh. pull builders in and show as I was doing this curriculum. Were they trying to reach people doing work in Canada or they were doing it to promote Canadian products, if you will. Canadian products. Okay, so was that Canadian was products? That I, was I did not know that. They get know. AIA credits and things. So, so as that as that sort of coalesces, right? Um, then there's the Energy Environmental Building Alliance, and I'd been going to the conferences, anyways, and so I'd seen Mark do a thing about his the house that he had built, the house that Mark built, and I still I'd have that. Forward. I still have the video from him yeah. on that. It's uh, yeah, yeah. It goes back down to 2005. two thousand five, two thousand, two thousand, two thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so then, um, Mark, Mark and I chatted and they needed more trainers to do the houses at work program because it was expanding while well, I was doing these other two seminars and had experience doing, you know, these, these full day trainings. And so EBA had put together a, a group of people. Some I can just rename, have just nameless here, but primarily it was Mark and Gordon and I, mm -hmm. and they wanted to redo the curriculum. For houses that work so well we had some stock stuff but i had stuff gord had stuff mark had stuff and it's really simple like how you become friends this is like 
2005. We knew each other real well. Mark and Gord had a much longer relationship, but I'm yes. sure they've discovered that. Yeah, they have. Yeah. So I'm sort of this third wheel. I'm a little bit younger than these guys. You know, I like to make fun of them for that, but I'm a decade younger than them. And we, we all got together to put this curriculum together over several days. And then we did this a couple of times and we realized that we're just the best of friends. Yeah. Like we just love what we do. We love talking about houses and we generally have like outside interests. Mom, Gord's involved in hockey and so forth. He was a referee. Mark and I skied. We all like other sports. And so we realized like we could talk about anything besides housing and including where I was geeking out about something in a, a building. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's nice. So, so we, we just kept going from there. And as other opportunities came together for us, um, we could present together a few times. We did some curriculum development for other organizations. And so really in, you know, soft late 2005, CI was starting to be born there. And by 2009, we were construction instruction. You were off and running. Yeah. 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 And, and then, and, but at that point you guys were traveling around doing face-to-face -face trainings, right? The see the putting yeah, assets yeah. in the ground didn't, hadn't happened it wasn't going to happen for a number of years right no we had basically a, a an admin person that helped us and then we had on our software side we had uh if you remember deirdre dameron yep she was a second admin on the software business because we launched that in nine and ten which of course dupont was one of the first groups to jump into the app um and then animations and so forth so deirdre managed that but really our schedules were uh, Mark, Gord, and I were doing 200 to 230 daily road gigs between the three of us uh, a year. So split that up, call it, you know, 70, 80 speaking engagements or builder consultations a year. Each. And we carried on like that for a, a good long time. Yeah. And then somewhere along the way, you also, because I remember seeing you at some of those trainees, it might have been the the pro earth things that pro build at the time was putting on. Yeah. And then yeah. You, you started to develop this kind of, you were the guy that was doing the science experiments at the table. I yeah. remember some yeah. and stuff together inside yeah. these rooms and smoke and vapor coming off. But that like you kind of went down, you developed that bit of expertise. You started applying a hands-on focus uh, if you're yeah. a lab experiment, kind of the science experiment. Yeah. And we, and we do that here. That's really where two things started. Those started and, you know, sort of the the gestation of this idea of of CI Live and Experience Center started to to really make sense. Um, and the reason was, and we all we knew this, but it was how if we're just doing a one day training and we get on an airplane and fly away, how do we really make an impact? Because truly, what you want is the part of that experience is, you know okay, but you slept on it at night and you, we all do this, right? And you wake up in the middle of the night, that guy said this, but what did that really mean? And you never have a chance to go back and ask him. Mm. So A, that's why we built the app. But then on the B side, we would do some of that for the original built green universities here. And what we really wanted to do is figure out, okay, if I'm still, still in a building in a classroom, I can't go out in the field, but we really have to talk about conduction heat flow or radiant transfer you know, well, we, we made animations and graphics, but still in your mind, a builder wants to see it. They mm -hmm. want to feel it. And so we keep, and we keep doing that today here is how do we build something that so someone can actually is big enough. And that, that's our side now It's gen one. Now we're on gen two and every one of them gets bigger. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And so I, we just, we want to show them and have them experience how that works. And so that's one of the things we do here is try and build these real models and or test stuff to just show them a test standard in play. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's worth a lot too. Cause yeah. So you started CI live. I know you started in Phoenix and that lasted a year, two or three, I forget. And then you moved to Denver. Yeah. So we, we had an original intent to be here in the Denver marketplace and Mark Gordon, I had looked at buildings for some time and the Denver marketplace and where we wanted to be at the time when you put the business model together. So we said, okay, we're going to build an experience center. We're going to make it like these pro earth universities, but they can't be four days like they were in Boulder. We can have more control of the facility if we can actually build the stuff in the facility. Right. 
well, so let's find a facility. Well, in Denver, finding a suitable building and looking at the, you know, the remodeling costs or improvement costs of the building, we're like, well, this better work because if it doesn't, we're all going to be, <laughs> right. you know, living in a van right. by the river. Exactly. So, so looking at the analysis, uh, you know, lease rates on a building and so forth were far at the time, far lower in Phoenix. And Mark lives in the Scottsdale, Phoenix area. So we said, well, let's see what that looks like if we put this business model down there with that square foot cost. And we did. So we did a smaller building that we could easily absorb into the the mix because we hadn't done one of these. And so we built, right. basically remodeled an entire building, put all this stuff in it and hoped people would come to Phoenix. And and they did. And we were there for two years and a month, I believe. And at the time, what happened was we, and we planned to be there for three and if not, maybe five. Um, I kept looking for buildings in Denver the entire time. I live in Denver. It was a little difficult. I was used to being on the road, but I live in Denver. And so really what happened was I wound up in Phoenix every week. Yeah. Didn't, and yeah. Yeah. And that, that's just a, a piece of it. So my son who was young at the time was trying to wonder like, where's my dad? Where's dad? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And then I heard that, tell me if this is true, that as you'd bring customers in to Phoenix during the spring baseball season, getting hotel rooms was problematic, right? Believe it or not, yeah. it's, it's, even though the city's large, like, so that became an issue for you. But I, I didn't realize that um, you always had the vision, though. The goal was to eventually move it to Denver. You just had to yeah. prove the concept somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to, you know, and, the, you know, if even just if it were neutral square foot costs, by the time we found a facility in Denver and I found one, it was geographically sort of optimum, which you've been to. And, and it is, there are 20 hotels behind us and we're seven minutes from the airport. Yeah. So we're out by the airport. Um, downside of that is there's not a lot of nightlife out here, but it's growing. I can see buildings being built and so forth. Um, it was, it was in the goal, but now if you look at the model, we're, we're three times the size building. As you were in Phoenix. And it was, yeah. We were in Phoenix. So yeah. It's funny. So you're seven minutes from the airport boundary, but the airport to the terminal is about a 50 minute drive. <laughs> it's a long ways into that terminal in Denver. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. we're on, the, we're in that belt right there. So we're yeah. literally seven minutes away. You're a great, great yeah. location where you, for those folks who haven't been to CI Live, you need to check it out. Cause as Justin says, you have the hotels nearby. It's just, it's so convenient. You Uber out, you can, I've walked from the hotel to CI Live spend a couple of days there. And that's really, I think it's a yeah. great setup. Yeah. And we do various courses and, you know, we've got AI sort of AIA certification on all of our courses. Um, so what's your most popular live course? It is right now, uh, the applied building science course, which is sort of a little bit of everything. Okay. Um, and the reason for that is if you haven't been, that's the course that a building professional architect would want to attend first. Um, in two weeks, we have an enclosure only course that which will go a little bit deeper into, you know, below grade wall slabs. We're not going to talk about mechanical or ventilation systems literally at all. We'll, we'll, we'll nuance it, but it's air sealing measures and thermal insulation, where you put it and how much do you put and advanced framing and material resource efficiencies, and, you know, making basements that aren't wet. So that's our, our course there. But last week we had. Uh, a wonderful audience here for uh, mechanical systems. And that seems to be the second most popular course. It's these, bring your bring your mechanical contractor and come in and let's sort this out. But you as the builder need to start taking a little bit more ownership in the mechanical heating, cooling, ventilation, and conveying systems in the building, including hot water and yeah. things. Because it's getting more complicated and people's expectations, of course, are are going up. I mean... We saw that through the last three years, what we've all been through. A lot of us were home office and we were in our homes at times that we never were before and went, wow, this room is horrible. Right. Right. Exactly. It's horrible. Yeah. So, so there's a lot more focus on that, but I think as we get into this, you know, where are we going in the future? You can't just, yes, you have to build a great box. As you say, you're in the, you're in the water and air and thermal business. But the systems that are inside the building are getting more complicated and they're also expensive 
So we've got to optimize those as well for both comfort and economics in the building. What surprise, when you do an applied building science class, say your, your fundamental one, if you will, what surprises you the most that surprises your, your, you know, the builders that are there? Is there anything that you say, wow, I thought you guys would have known that, but it continually surprises you that folks are surprised. You know what I mean? I, like, There's a ton of them. I mean, there... it, it depends a bit on region. I'll give one like uh, uh, we had a, a Canadian group, 35 or so of the net zero energy coalition of Canada, and they don't seal their ducts up there. Really? And you're like, but you have to, you know, and you know, you might have other people from another climate where, you know, they, I, I had this the session before was, you know, they don't install a water an air resistive barrier. It's a lapped sort of a wax impregnated cardboard product on the outside of their buildings. And like, mm -hmm. it's perfectly okay. I'm like, I think the biggest one is, you know, as a, and it goes back to my, my original sort of push into the, the big part of the corporate industry of working at a big, a big ish company um, and seeing these things, 10, 12, 15 year old houses that we built. And I, and I continually look at that as you can see that people rarely know after one year of how their houses perform. So, and you've heard this many times, Alan, but you, I, I've never had a problem with that. Yes, I don't right. Yeah, my buildings that, yeah. don't leak. My buildings don't leak. I, I would, I would venture for most people that when they when they deeply think about that, that's a that's a statement to make them feel comfortable at the moment. But in their minds, they know that they they don't know. There's some risk there. Yeah. 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 And I think some some of it is is, you know, how things work, um, from a physics standpoint. Uh, Takes a while. Yeah. 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 It's little tricks that we try and show them in the, in the lab. Um, well, I know I've seen, I've seen your, um, your ventilation or your HVAC demonstration where you show the effect of different grills mm -hmm. and how impactful that can be. I had no idea. I thought a grill was a grill was a grill and no offense to yeah. the grill manufacturers, but then you actually space people out 10, 15, 20, 25, yeah. 30, how far you can throw the air and feel it on your body. And of course that has, implications yeah. in design and where you place ducks and and can vastly simplify things or not but i was amazed at the difference in grills like something yeah. as simple as that yeah and it's 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 there and i i think watching i mean the, the most fun part about having people here is one is it's 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 different because we have all kinds of artifacts and pieces in the back for them to literally see and, and everything runs here we don't want anything that we can't apply, install, test, or operate Yeah, um, down to the smallest little fan. So, and we've got a 500 square foot framed house in the back that's open and you can walk into it and there's trusses and ducts. And now we're adding plumbing and other parts and uh, electrical wires and insulation. And, you know, we just keep adding pieces and we've got a dozen different wall sections that are cut away that you can spread around and we build a wall together. And then we yeah. test the we next the next enclosure session we will build a wall uh, with an air and water resistive barrier flashing system exterior insulation some siding on it and then we're going to take it out and we're going to do a spray rack test on it with a with the window installed. So what do your what do your neighbors think when you're out there spraying water shooting smoke everywhere? They think people, we're a little people. They think we're a little crazy. Yeah. yeah, we get some we get some good stares and and the the best stare. Um, and you've been in the back, but now we've we've uh, started to inject um, fluorescent biodegradable. I'm going to say first biodegradable, uh, non toxic, but fluorescent <laughs> dye in the water. So some days it's orange, some days it's blue, red, or like a just a spooky green color. There you go, St. Patrick's <laughs> yeah. Day. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. save that for March. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's cool. <laughs> great. Yeah, that's great. Now, so we have high. So obviously. Codes are changing, buildings are getting tighter, more insulation, changes how we build, opens us up to risks that we may or may not be thinking about. Um, so high performance walls, we like talk, and, and you know, the reason I think we talk about walls so much, one is we're in the walls business, but you think about what a wall has to do, right? You have the outside elements at 20 degrees Fahrenheit or 30 degrees inside at 72, mm -hmm. humidity differences, gradients, temperature gradients, 
uh, manage smell, sounds, wind, air pressure, like all that has to happen across six or eight inches of a wall. So there's a lot and going it has on to in hold, that wall. And it has to hold the house up. And, and it's structural, right? Yeah, let's not forget and, about that. And keep, and keep the wild beasts out, right? Right, and, and so, other smaller yeah, pests, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it's doing a lot. Like people don't think about their walls, but you just think about the, the change that's happening from across those six or eight inches. It's absolutely tremendous. So high performance walls are coming at us. What, like in your mind, what are some of the big challenges that builders face just try to improve their game and, and drive towards these high performance walls. There's, I think there's a, there's a number, there's a number of little, little things that, and then big things that, that come up. The, the first is really, you know, and we had at least the pleasure to present this with you guys a little bit ago at the specialist conference. And, you know, the first one is understanding the total effect of our value of a wall system. Meaning once we add in the lack of, no, there's thermal performance to it, but lack of thermal performance of the wood or steel, typically let's call it wood and residential yeah. a framed system. And the fact that we're trying to install the insulation between the voids um, and the open spaces between the, the structural members, it has such a limited future. Um, will we still install insulation in the cavities? I believe so. But as we know, in, in order to increase the thermal effectiveness of that wall, the insulation has to go to the outside. And yeah. lucky for us is you get a thermal benefit out of that that's significant. You know, in a, a two by four wall with typical insulation and a two by four wall, if we go to a two by four wall, put R5 insulation on the outside, you have a 50% increase in the wall's thermal performance, approximately Effective, percentage yeah. points. Yeah. And that's amazing because you just had a 50% reduction in energy flow through the wall, not just winter, but summertime too. Yeah. So there's a big effect there. Cause that we also, that R13 is not R13 net. No, that's out much lower. Actually, if you put 15 in a wall, it's two by four. And what I'm going to say is typical today is 30% framing. You're at, you're at 10 and 10 and some change on the effective R value of the wall. So you go from so you, 10 to 15 by adding that, that R5 exactly. exterior. Yeah. So you pick up the thermal benefit and then, you know, there are other things you, if, if combined with sheathing products or air and water resistive barriers, you're kind of doubling down on your exterior air barrier. So you'll have air leakage reductions in the building if done correctly. And then, which is complex, but we don't need to make it as complex as sometimes we think is, it warms the wall cavity, which reduces condensation potential yeah. in cold climates and also reduces moisture accumulation and condensation potential in humid climates because you've got a, a lower moisture absorbing non-wood based species on say the outside of your oriented strand board or plywood. And so combined with a water resistive barrier, you've got a flashing system, you've got a condensation or moisture control system if it's just high vapor loads from humidity. So works on a humid climate, what works in a, a cold climate as well. And you get the thermal benefit. And that whole analogy is, you know, simply just take a, a 2,000 square foot above grade house, 1,000 per floor, make it a simple box. Let's just be approximate here. And if you have just a standard flat, attic for the most part, you have a thousand square feet of attic space and you're putting R38, R49, R60 insulation yeah. up there. And then we've got 2000 square feet of wall. Every bit um, of it, right? 400 square feet of it's got windows that are an R3 in it, right? And then call it a, let's go to a two by six wall with nothing outside and R21 insulation in it and an R15 wall. So you have twice the surface area at yeah half to one third, third yeah right. a third of the r value and it's just physics if we're going to get to this place and buildings comfort and i'm i'm not going to say don't equate dollars but energy as as this world grows and we add complexities to it there the competition for energy sources and that's just not put cost on it energy savings and not wasting energy is, is where I'm going here, that we're going to have to just be a little mindful of what it is that we're using in our houses. And yeah. 
if houses need half the energy to to go or or produce their own energy, that that's just a, a great economic benefit, not just for us and our individual pocketbooks, but as a country. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's good good for everybody. That's right. Yeah. So in in the few minutes we have remaining, the um, you know the world is also now moving towards and starting to incorporate carbon into the conversation, right? Reducing call embodied carbon and, and then the carbon it takes to operate the home over the life of the home. So what are your thoughts there? Like, is that, is that the next thing coming at us here? Re- focusing on carbon? Yeah. It's uh, as long as, as long as we don't try and, uh, well, I won't say it, legislate it, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, you working for a large organization that, uh, you know, looking at longevity of company and long-term goals and what we know scientifically on, on the planet that, you know, we, we are there and it is part of your long-term sustainability goal. And I think that falls suit for any medium and large size builder. And we even see a small builder saying, wow, yeah, people are, are asking for this. But this is what I think is, is really interesting in it is that the, the models and things and we're working on looking at a, a process for the builders. Well, we, we can calculate with reasonable um, efficiency, I say efficiency, the energy efficiency of a building. So we can have a reasonable result because we know the thermal performance, the air leakage performance, the mechanical plant efficiencies of hot water, heating, cooling, lighting, new you know, appliance loads that are all models that have been assisted you know, over the years and refined. So that's operational carbon, right? Yeah. So, and, and you can factor in things, which these are all things we've known over the years. This is nothing new. So there's, there's site carbon, meaning operational equipment that, that generates carbon at a job, at, at, at a home site, I should say, or a home, a yeah, gas, hot water heater, right? It's, you're burning the fuel on site and there's a certain efficiency associated with that. And there's also a certain carbon based on how much, how much it runs, how long it runs, how big it is. Um, so we've been able to look at that. Then there's source when you're talking about, and that gets pretty, that gets a little more complicated. We start to look at, you know, like Colorado, what percentage of the the energy that comes to an average house is renewable versus gas versus coal mm. versus hydro. So that, that but, that but we know that information as well. But, yeah. but, but grid sectors are divided up into little pods and we can, we can reasonably figure out, you know, what that looks like by by portion of the country, where we don't know, but we're learning. This is the cool part, and and I think where where it really hits home with the builders is we can look at that operational side, but now let's look at the embodied carbon, what went into the building and the materials that went into the building, and that that could be, um, in your case, it could be foams and the blowing agent in the foam. You've made a change to that, which has a significant global warming. Uh, greenhouse gas reduction or GWP, global warming potential reduction. Refrigerants, for example, another thing that are in lots of things like a refrigerator or air conditioning system, Um, but concrete, wood, uh, tiles, brick, uh, cladding materials, cabinetry. So insulation products that are fibrous and you put in your wall or outside your wall. Um, So we're, we're in this process of looking at these models, and one of them is called Beam. It's a tool. There's several other other on the market, but how do we actually get the inputs from manufacturers like Dupont? Others could be Mitsubishi. It could be a, a small company making a small product as well. So we look at these product declarations and how are we able to put this, you know, by thickness, by square foot, into a model? So we're literally modeling buildings like we're doing an energy rating. And coming up with all the surface areas and thicknesses and types of materials, it's trying to catalog and look at the embodied energy that's in all the construction materials. And what's beautiful about this one is it 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 talks about energy. The operational carbon is in the energy side, but the embodied side. And and we can start to get to this place where we help people make economic and rational decisions about if you make your wall this thick and have ten inches of concrete. Is it structurally stronger than an eight-inch concrete wall with some sort of you know low global warming potential 
rebar that's in there. Maybe it's composite, not even steel. Yeah. And do you get a stronger wall that costs you less as a builder to build that has less carbon that also doesn't affect your operational efficiency? Or it might be how much insulation or what type you put in your walls. And maybe you're, you're balancing between, um, it might be a balance between improving the air leakage of the building versus, which is a, a byproduct of many things versus adding more insulation. And yeah. you add three times more wall insulation. So make your walls 10 inches thick. And all of a sudden you go, well, my operational carbon went down by 1%, but my embodied went up by 6%. That's not right. good. Right. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's like I have a colleague who talks about like a Rubik's cube. You got to try to get everything. And then it's about yeah. optimization, right? It's about optimization. There's no perfect. There's no one answer. It's about, there may be I, many solutions to get it, yeah. an answer. It's climate specific. It's uh, sort of product specific in many instances. Uh, it's it's new, and we're in this place where we're we're learning rapidly uh, about it, and it'll it'll continue, I think, to to feed this 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 decision matrix even further. But I think the the main word is, which which really excites me is is not always just adding because what I see is the building community loves to say if this works, I'll add twice as much and it'll work better. And and I think where we need to be in this place is adding the right material and the right amount that's both economically in the best interest for the builder and ultimately the homeowner and then the world and planet. Right. Yeah. Right. That's great. It's pretty cool. It's really, it's, a, yeah. yeah, it's job security going forward for sure. There's a lot, a lot of runway left to learn about, right. A lot of room for I innovation. Think, I think that's the big one is it's learning. And I think it's also having, it's the learning, you know, and it, it's also the ability to have, you know, really innovative and really deep conversations about how our industry will continue to be even better than it is today. Yeah. Which is cool. It's a path. You like, you see a future. It's like, wow, the sun's coming up and this is going to be the best day ever. Right. Right. Well, that's cool. Well, if anybody can get us there, construction instruction, CI live and you, Justin and your partners can certainly play a huge role there. We'd like to play a role. We, we love our partnership with you. We enjoy working with you. I would encourage any of the listeners to get out to CI Live and check them out. You get some classroom learning, you get some hands-on learning, you get to talk with Justin and and pick his brain as well as among uh, Gordon Mark as well. Yeah. So. And you'll get to meet Andy because I didn't mention Andy. And we didn't get to Andy. Partner. We'll save we'll that. Get there. We'll save that for the next podcast. Yeah, we'll, we'll have Andy on. We'll have Andy on. Something. That's yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. we'll get him. That's right. So, uh, Justin, yeah, we'll close it there. And, uh, again, thank you so much for, for joining us, and thank you for uh, spreading your knowledge and, uh, and doing what you do in the construction industry. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alan. This podcast is brought to you by DuPont Performance Building Solutions, who provides the marketplace with a full suite of weatherization, thermal, and air sealing solutions, such as DuPont Tyvek wraps, flashings, and tapes, DuPont Styrofoam brand XPS Rigid Foam Board, and great stuff in froth pack spray foams. DuPont knows the homes you build today will need to stand the test of time, expanding, contracting, breathing, and protecting for generations to come. Be sure to check back often for new episodes. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Alan Hubble, and residentially speaking, that's a wrap.